every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the trees. Stop and hear what I say. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the House, second Saturday of the month. So we have ISA certified arborist John Eisenhower from Save a Tree in the studio talking trees. We always have a tree of the month and a weekly to do, our monthly to do for your trees. But before we get to that, I want to talk about leaf peepers. Have you ever been a leaf peeper? John, a leaf peeper, a leaf peeper. It's I might have been a leaf peeper <laughs> from time to time. It's year. something I learned from uh, John Harper, who will be in next Saturday uh, in this hour. It, it's a big industry in the Pacific Northwest where we have snowbirds that come down here to get away from the snow. There's people from the southern region of America that go up to Maine, Connecticut, Vermont in the fall to look at all the color changing. The and they call them leaf peepers. Leaf peepers. So a big tourist industry in the Northwest. Well, did you know you don't have to go to Connecticut or Maine to be a leaf peeper? In fact, you don't even have to leave the great state of Arizona. You can simply go to flagstaffarizona.org and click on their leaf-o-meter, and it will break down by specific regions in our mountain areas. Flagstaff, the Arboretum, uh, they've got a monitor at Snowbold, the Inner Basin, Oak Creek Canyon, and Sedona. And it will tell you where the leaf color is so by each region. So see. you could go see. And, and they're all pretty much peaked right now at red just before the fall off. So yeah. beautiful time to drive up to the mountains and view uh, view a little bit of leaf peeping. Yeah. The the leaf peeping in, in the, the desert southwest or even the mountain southwest is lagging a couple of months behind the rest of the country. Whereas Vermont, New Hampshire would have their leaf drop in September, October. We're having ours in November, December, so we were a couple of months behind the rest of the country. But it's kind of cool that we've got our own own fall colors, and we can go up and enjoy uh, enjoy them at di- a different time of year. Sort of instead of having fall colors, we kind of have winter colors, uh, at least in the in the desert southwest. And uh, yeah, it's uh, um, this time of year in in the Phoenix area, you don't see much leaf drop at all right now. It's amazing. I mean, the, the trees are persisting. This has been one of those summers uh, that's pushed the fall even later, and everything seems to be just a, a couple of weeks behind. Um, we were doing some overseeding of, of lawns later than we've ever done it because we had this, you know, f- a forecast for another week of, 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 of nice uh, warm temperatures. So we said, well, hey, we, there, there's still a lawn or two to do. So we did some overseeding late into November, which is real unusual for you to be able to do that at all. And here we have uh, a lot of trees that, that normally would be showing some fall colors are still green. It's amazing. You know, it might not be until January. Someone was saying, well, do, will my uh, tree ever drop its leaves? Interestingly, some trees are called semi-deciduous in that they, depending on the year, sometimes keep their leaves all year. And they'll drop them suddenly. In sometimes as late as January, February, and put on new leaves within a week. They'll just kind of dump all the old ones and put on the new ones immediately. I have seen that on a few of ours where you keep thinking, well, maybe they're not going to lose it all. And then you come around the next day and they're all on the ground. You're like, oh my gosh, did my tree just die? Yeah. But, but like you said, those 
you watch see. closely on the limbs and you can see the new buds coming out real quick. Yeah, but you know, sometimes we'll get a, a little earlier cold snap and that'll kind of trigger uh, that abscisic acid moving in the plants. That's uh, the uh, the hormone that's responsible for causing those leaves to, to abscise and drop to the ground. And sometimes that'll happen earlier in some years, others and others uh, not, but uh, some of our, our real showy trees are our pecans, uh, pistache, and then if, um, that, that red push pistache is real popular. And then, if, of course, we have our, and, our fruit trees, including our, our purple leaf plum. And while you mentioned that red push, you know, that comes up almost every Saturday for probably the past quarter. Uh, we've talked about it a few times. I mean, we've had when you had a panel in earlier mm-hmm. this year. Uh, this year, and everybody recommended to this one homeowner uh, in the top three. They all picked out a red push <laughs> as one of those to consider. It's it, it comes up constantly. Well, it's such a, a, an amazing tree. It's, it's a, a, a showcase tree. You know, that where if you want some fall color, that's probably a, you know your top ticket item. If you want to get one of the, at least that accent tree that you want in your yard, you may not have a lot of other deciduous trees. We have some mulberries and. Um, and then, of course, a bunch of stone fruits. So we've got some various colored trees, but that one's pretty dramatic. And it's kind of cool to have one if you don't have a deciduous tree. That or a purple leaf plum are kind of this, uh, you know, nice scarlet purple purple um, tree. So they actually, actually act as sort of an accent tree. If you've got a, a yard full of green and, and, and yellow leafed trees, it's kind of nice to have a red mixed in there. And that purple leaf plum and the and the red push pistache kind of answer that call and the reason they call it a red push is in the springtime when it's pushing on its new growth all the new growth is red so you've got the green from last year or you know previous year but this year's growth is red so you've got almost like a red and green christmas colors in the springtime yeah and then those and those leaves as they mature then they turn a, a full green color but yeah and those that, that, that early um juvenile growth is kind of that multicolored. yeah it's beautiful well let's get to our tree of the month i've kind of distracted us talking tree color and fall drop and well it's no it's a great a great segue because the the tree of the month is is the brahia armada it's the mexican blue fan palm and the blue is uh, is really the key key word there because it's a very amazing fan palm that has a blue green tint to it. It's a, sometimes even a light blue, and they're just really unique in the landscape. I I, I listed it as a as a tree of the month this year because I like it a lot. It's got so many cool characteristics. You have so many. Uh, uh, Washingtonia varieties. You got the Washingtonia robusta, which is the Mexican fan palm, Washingtonia filifera, which is a California fan palm, and they're the, the typical palms you see all over town: the skinny ones and then the fat ones. Um, and those Washingtonias have a very dark green leaf, and you know a classic palm tree uh, leaf color. In contrast, the Mexican blues have a blue leaf cast, and they're just unique. If you can get one in your in your yard, um, they're a, a really nice addition to a, a mesic landscape and even a desert landscape. They're really drought tolerant, just like our others. They're a different genus, but they're really, really, uh, really nice. The one drawback is that they're slow growing. Don't expect them to, to, to shoot up, you know, three feet a year like our Mexican fan palms uh, can do. 
These are going to be more like about six or eight inches a year. So you'll have to be patient. If, if you want a, a, a pretty nice uh, uh, larger one in your landscape, better to buy a larger tree, a larger box specimen, and uh, you'll, you won't be disappointed. The other unique characteristic to these palms is they have this amazing flower stalk that pushes out, and it's uh, it's really glorious. It's a, these beautiful creamy colored, uh, cream-colored flowers and these big draping um, uh, plumes of, of flowers. It's a really amazing floral display, which you don't see in the, the Mexican fan palms. So This one's another, the Mexican blue fan palm. Yeah, and, and we'll try to get um, something up on the uh, Rosie website here today. So if you want to take a, a look at a really cool specimen, check out your website a little later today. And you said they were slow growing, growing six to eight inches. So the picture you sent us, I mean, these trees are pretty mature, probably 20, 30 years old. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Now, inquiring minds, you know, want, want to know things. So, you know, ha- has there any been any kind of testing of the fermenting of a blue Mexican fan palm? Because a blue agave fermenting it can have a lot of, you know, benefits. <laughs> has, have we ever tried anything with the Mexican blue fan palm? <laughs> no, but I, I, I it's, it's amazing. I, I did read something, and I can't recall what it was, but the fruit, once the, the flowers of the palm trees mature— they produce a, a, a little berry and a fruit. And I, and I believe that the blue Mexican uh, blue fan palm actually does have some medicinal value. But no, they're, um, of course, the palm heart, you know, has to be, um, the only way you can get palm heart is to kill a palm tree to get to it. And we do, uh, from time to time, have to remove some palm trees. And uh, any one of the, the Washingtonia species, the, the California or the Mexican fan palm, produce a really nice uh, a heart of palm, and we can cut it out and cut around it, and then uh, even with our chainsaw, carefully cut down into that center of the tree, and, and we've enjoyed a, a nice uh, little hors d'oeuvre before our lunch from time to time out on the job site, cutting out palm heart and uh, having, a, having a, little, a little meal. It's really quite good. But and like you said, that's only at the time where you've got to remove it. You can't Eat right, that right. and keep the tree alive. Yeah, you can't keep the tree alive. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like syrup it's, coming it's out of a tree. Destructive testing, yeah. <laughs> now, I've got a question for you, John, from this new trivia card game you left at the office this week. It's a card game that Save a Tree put together to test your tree knowledge, <clears throat> and it can be played up to four players. Well, on palm trees, I've got a, a true or false question for you. Palm trees are mo- more closely related to trees than to grass. True or false? They're a truly, a palm is a grass. It's really not a tree. But, you know, some could argue, you know, that, that it, it meets all the qualifications of the definition of a tree. But genetically, it really is more closely related to grass. So are your arborists required to play trivia like for 30 minutes every morning before well, they go out? It's a brand new game. <laughs> I haven't even had a chance to look through all the questions. I'm so excited to look at it because they've been boxed up as gifts uh, for us to give to some of our customers, and it's a great, a great new game. So hopefully, it'll be widely distributed. And and I understand that you, you even have a couple of questions couple that of were questions submitted I and submitted. selected. Yep, there's some of mine in there too. Cool. <laughs> well, we'll have to see about maybe talking trees in 2021, having a a deck to give out every week to a listener That'd be nice, for yeah. some kind or, of or definitely have a little trivia question every, yeah. every week. You know, to our to our listeners, maybe we could have a. Throw out a few other and see if we can get a few responses back in with some correct answers. That'd be cool. 
We are Talking Trees with ISA Certified Arborist, John Eisenhower. We'll be back right after this. During the break, I was shuffling through my trivia cards, John, and it's broken down into categories. You've got science, general knowledge, and tree facts. And here's one for you since it's relevant to our time. Winter solstice is an important day for trees because it's the shortest day of the year. And as days begin to lengthen, it triggers trees to get ready for the summer. True or false? It triggers something that causes the trees to get ready for spring, for new growth? Correct. I would say correct. You are correct. Those technical answers, a lot of times it's... <laughs> they don't give you any, any details. It didn't say why. Now you got to go look that up to find out why. Why? Why that's <laughs> happening. <laughs> Push out the new leaf growth. Yeah, the, the, those, short, ready to shorter photosynthesize. Days, those shorter days do yeah, trigger mechanisms within plants to, to let them know it's time to, to get ready for some, uh, some new spring growth. In fact, we were going to talk a little bit about that um, today uh, in terms of the winter activity of roots. You know, um, we've uh, scientists have done a lot of studying on above-ground parts of trees, but the below-ground parts of trees have been a little bit harder to research because you, you, you can't really dig them up to look at them mm-hmm. without destroying them. So, but some new technologies have given them uh, the ability to, to do some observation and studying of what happens uh, 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 underground, but in particular, what's happening during the winter when trees are in dormancy? The above-ground parts of the trees, of course, are um, don't have leaves on the deciduous trees, and there seems to be a, a lack of inactivity. And um, but research has shown that despite the fact that things are slowing down above ground, the roots are still active, and they can be very active, uh, especially if the soil temperatures remain higher. It has to be um, kind of in that, you know, above freezing, of course, once the, you know, roots can freeze and they can be damaged in certain climates. Uh, but if those soil temperatures are, are high enough, it can be cold. Even the surface soil can be, can be frozen. Uh, and, of course, the above ground uh, air temperature can be above, below freezing. But the ground can be adequately insulated enough so that roots can continue to go in about their business of growing, actually expanding into new areas, colonizing new soil, um, um, repairing damaged roots from the past, uh, gathering resources and nutrients and water, all getting ready for that, that, that first spring push. And uh, scientists thought that because the above-ground parts of the tree were in dormancy, that it was logical to assume that the roots were just, you know, hunkering down as well. And they do slow down. Metabolism does slow down in winter. But it doesn't it, those those roots are actually staying quite active and uh why it's one of our main reasons why we we recommend uh very strongly uh to do fall fertilization because um re, uh it has shown research has shown that that fall fertilization is important because the trees are utilizing it during the winter and now that we know that there's the heightened uh, root activity during those, those winter months, they're utilizing all that fertilizer you put down in the fall. They're utilizing it all winter long so that when they, uh, when they have that first spring push of growth, they're hitting the road running, so to speak. And, and uh, you're not chasing those nutrient issues. Sometimes if you wait until you do spring fertilization, you haven't done any fall or late summer fertilization, 
uh, you're kind of chasing those nutrient deficiencies because once the new spring push comes and there's a nutrient deficiency, you're putting fertilizer down. Some of it is a slow-release formulation, and it takes a while for the tree to uptake it and actually for you to see any any results. So a good fall fertilization program is is key to uh, giving those trees a really great start in the spring. And on along your theory of so goes the roots, so goes the shoots, and that mm-hmm. complements this theory perfectly. When you look at the spring growth and the new trees growing out and the branches getting wider, well, it's growing out to where the roots have grown underground during the dormant season. Yeah, they're 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 uh, of course has a corresponding growth above ground for everything that's going down, going happening up below ground, and the converse is true too. That when you when the roots are suffering then you, you're, you're going to see those above-ground parts of the tree showing some of those uh, indications of stress or possible disease. or um, And uh, that's where we often will have an insect or a disease problem. And it's not really – those are sometimes secondary problems. The, the underlying problem is basic plant stress. And once the tree is stressed, it's vulnerable to the insects coming in or those uh, um, uh, uh, disease pathogens – having an advantage over the tree that, that under normal circumstances, normal healthy conditions, the tree could have fought those off and, and had, wouldn't have had an issue with them. But uh, under those uh, stress, uh, stress, you know, those multiple stresses, kind of death by a thousand cuts, uh, sometimes uh, it takes a, a keen eye to, uh, to know, you know, what are the primary causes of, of these problems that the trees are facing? Is it just an insect or, or is it a broader a problem of, of overall uh, tree uh, tree health that's uh, causing the, 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 the issues. And a lot of times one of those problems can lead to another problem that can lead to another one. You yeah. know, the, a, a poor tree that can't have the sap to keep the bugs from boring in, you know, the bugs get in, now the disease come, and it just all kind of snowballs well, we, downhill from yeah, there. We, we refer to it as a, mor- a mortality spiral, where a good example is sunburn. Uh, leads to uh, a defoliation of the trees, which leads to further sunburn. Then flat-headed borers can sometimes get in and start to do some damage to the vascular system. So by the time we sometimes look at a tree, it's had a year or two of, of some stresses that we can start to identify. And, and if we can backtrack with your investigation, you can determine what those initial causes were. When all I We're still here talking trees halfway through the hour with John Eisenhower, ISA certified arborist of Save a Tree. And John, during the break, before we jump to the next topic, you were talking about winter root activity. And for a majority of Arizona, the snowpack doesn't have a lot to do with our trees, but we do have affiliate and Flagstaff, a lot of our Phoenix, Tucson mm-hmm. listeners have second home cabin homes up in the mountains. Talk about the the snow and the tree roots. Uh, just a, a recap of what we talked about in the break. Yeah, the uh, tree roots can be damaged by uh, inclement weather and cold weather. They, they they just like the other parts of the of the tree above ground can suffer damage. Um, and but the timing of that uh, of of snowfall in particular can be uh, helpful or not. Uh, sometimes an early uh, foot of snow can actually provide an insulation layer and keep the uh, the ground uh, relatively protected from 
the low the the uh, the air temperatures which are are starting to drop in the winter, and uh, that's it's been known to actually be a, a, a benefit to trees to get an early snow, because that that snow layer will actually provide an insulation and keep the soil temperatures moderated, whereas if there there was no snow and the temperatures plummet, sometimes the surface uh, soil and the roots directly below it can be uh, can be damaged, so. Interesting that a little bit of snow actually early in the season can be a can be a help in terms of promoting uh, that uh, or or at least prolonging that root uh, root activity that we we talked about in the last segment. You want that to continue as long into the fall and winter as you can, uh, and as the temperatures are dropping, 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 that root activity is going to slow down. So the longer you can kind of keep that that uh, soil nice and um, uh, nice and warm, uh, relatively speaking, um, that root activity will continue as well. And in that last segment, you talked about a new a term, uh, mortality spiral. And when when is it time to remove a tree? How do you know? You know every the best time to plant a tree was twenty five years ago, but every tree has a season and a life. And sometimes, unfortunately, we get to the end of that. How do you know? Uh, that it might be time to replace an existing tree or, or remove an existing one. Yeah, when we're out on our on properties, um, there are times where we uh, see trees that are in such bad condition that we don't want to invest any more time and and expense in maintaining them. And and you do have to a, a trained eye will be able to make some of those determinations. Uh, is it possible to pull a tree out of a mortality spiral? Uh, some of our listeners have citrus trees that are older. Maybe some of them are 70, 80, even 100 years old. Some of the old orchard trees have uh, phytophthora and, and other um, pathogens they're fighting. And the top starts to die back. You get a little bit of sunburn. You get some gamosis and, and leaf drop. And, and at some point, you know, you have to make a decision. Is it possible to pull those trees out of this mortality spiral? Are there nutritional things we can do? to improve the soil conditions and, and give those trees a, a, another lease on life. And, and, and it is a, a, on a, a, a case-by-case basis that we make those decisions every day. But sometimes, as you said, there's, you know, trees do have a reason in a season. And unfortunately, sometimes that reason and season expire and it's time to move on and think about maybe putting another tree in and enjoying it as it grows up and, 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 and into the, into a new landscape. When we're, um, uh, doing some consulting on, on construction projects, we're often asked to come in and make recommendations on whether they should retain trees uh, on a construction project. And we routinely are, are are recommending that some of the more mature trees that are senescing and are, are, are moving toward the end of their lives, uh, that, that they actually not be kept. Even though they're beautiful uh, specimen trees, sometimes the chances of them surviving a construction project are so low that it wouldn't be worth investing all the time to try to preserve them through the construction project just to have them die within a year or two after the project, and then you have a big void in the landscape. What we often do is is recommend retaining the trees that are kind of in their teenage years, so to speak, so they can grow up into the landscape and become part of the, the maturing, la- the, the, the new landscape, uh, rather than having an older tree decline and senesce and, and be, become an eyesore in a in a new landscape. So there are times you just have to know when to make those decisions. And, and 
there are other times when trees become hazardous and or they're just uh, they've outgrown their landscape to the point where they're starting to disrupt the hardscape they're breaking your block wall they're lifting the sidewalk or your pavers your driveway and it maybe it was a tree out of place it wasn't the right tree for that location and um, and there are other trees that are just simply nuisance trees because they're they're dumping some sort of litter or some fruit um, and becoming such a, a problem that way that they're not worth the uh, the maintenance or the headache to to maintain them in the landscape and those are the kind of things we look at when we're um, making those assessments and we try to help our customers come to those decisions and and uh, make a good decision sometimes it's worth it to uh, uh, live with a, a a larger tree. We have one that's growing right on our property line. It broke our it broke the common wall between ours and the and the neighbor next door. So we just took the wall down and and pushed it into our neighbor's side into our neighbor's yard two or three feet and and built around it with your neighbor's consent with their neighbor's consent because <laughs> because we both we both love the tree. It's too it's too big and and glorious. Now the the roots that that was uh, ten years ago. Now the roots have destroyed that. That, that little partition. wall we built out around it, it's got a big crack in it as well. But we're still living with it and enjoying that tree a few more years. And Well, and that, you know, if you ever go to resell it, the that, know, a majestic tree like that's going to add a lot more to the property value than a wall. <laughs> yeah, and but it does raise an issue. It became an exception on the title when we purchased the house. So now I do have to um, negotiate that with uh, any seller of my home because – um, it'll have to be um, tied in with an agreement with any new neighbor that would come along. And so far, so good. We um, haven't faced that yet. But, yeah, there are some issues with property line trees. That so on a monster tree like that, you know, at the time it is removal time, that's – I would imagine where you're at, you know, that's not something just anybody can go get a chainsaw and cut down no matter which way it falls – it's going to hit the street or a wall or a structure you know, at a big risk. That's got to be something that's got a, a controlled removal. Yeah, you don't want to be one of those guys. You, know, you don't want to be that guy who has that video on YouTube for, <laughs> uh, you know, failed, you know, tree removals. Um, uh, yeah, stupid. There are plenty of them things. to watch. There are, and some of them are quite humorous. Some of them are quite tragic. You know, there are some tree removals that, you know, went sideways and, uh, literally went sideways where trees didn't follow the direction you wanted them to and they end up on the house. Or... Well, I've even heard, I've never seen it, but a big enough tree as it's falling down, if it's heavy enough, it can split yes. and send part of the tree backwards. So if you're standing mm-hmm. behind it thinking you're safe because it's falling the other way, it could split halfway down and, and send part of the a yeah. splinters back. And you know, Yeah, they and... call that barber chairing. And yeah, there's a, a lot of... Um, risk in in larger trees Splint, barbara chair barber chair okay it, it creates a barber chair it's sort of uh, the 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 structure on the trunk that remains after a, a tree is fractured and broken apart on falling leaves this um barber chair looking um chunk of wood and it's really really dangerous it can actually you know uh, uh, come back and hit the 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 chainsaw operator so uh, yeah, look up barber chair, and you'll find that uh, some examples of that online. But yeah, the uh, um, it, it, you're advised, you know, just to be careful if you are doing. I I was, I've got a big dead branch hanging over my driveway that I, I want to uh, cut down, and I I was thinking I'm just I don't need to call out one of our crews to do that work. I can do that myself. 
but it is, it is going to require an extension ladder and a chainsaw. But I'll have to have my PPE on and my climbing saddle so I can be tied into the tree so I can do it safely. I don't want to be one of those weekend warriors that would not be nice to have an article in the paper, Arborist, <laughs> you know, falls out of tree. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be that guy. And, no, you just need to know your limits. And as I'm getting older, too, I need to realize that, you know, it's a young man's game, a young woman's game, and I, I don't want to be uh, exceeding my own personal limitations and doing crazy stuff I could have done when I was 20 or 30 and definitely not cutting corners with safety. We always wear our, our, our personal protective equipment and, and proper, um, you know, use proper equipment. I have not seen any of this type of heavy equipment here in Arizona, but I have a cousin who's an arborist in Mississippi, and occasionally he'll send me videos, and there's this boom track you know picture of uh you know what you would think a, a, a scoop tractor would be but it's got a chipper on the end they just move mm-hmm. over to the top of the tree turn yeah. it on and in about 25 seconds you know a second a foot they'll just completely chip the tree to the ground and then all you have to do is your stump removal yeah there's some new technologies for for tree removal and that are, are really changing the industry and it, it, it is it's making it safer um, it will eliminate a few jobs, you know, some of the ground workers, because you know it can be a one-man operation. They have these big grapple uh, trucks that can grab it, a tree at 40 feet off the ground, and there's uh, a chainsaw blade uh, connected with that uh, that attachment that can actually cut the top out of the tree while they're holding onto it and bring that whole top of the tree down to the ground and actually feed it into the chipper. All one operator. Wow! Amazing. <clears throat> All one operator that can afford a one million dollar machi- <laughs> machinery. <laughs> Your infrastructure costs on something like that's quite extensive. And your return on investment too. Wow. Yeah, well, that's just it. Yeah, you can make those payments if you're if you're doing six or seven jobs that might have taken you uh, a, a day to do just one in the past. So yeah, it's 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 a new technology and. I haven't seen one that would work on a on a big bushy mesquite though, <laughs> multi branch trunk. <laughs> I'm not sure that would quite work on on some of our native deserts. But uh, at the point you do, I mean that is tree removal service. Y'all have done a number of palm trees for us yeah. before. You know they're they're huge, they're heavy, and what would take us weeks to section out and quarter up and chop sure. up. You know, y'all bring the crane out. You have the dumpster on site. You cut it in sections crane into the dumpster and in a matter of a couple hours the project's done yeah we have some really skilled uh, workers and yeah we try to utilize all the um the tools we can to make the the job not just faster and easier but safer and you know we if we can keep a a climber out of a tree and use a crane to lift a big piece of wood out it just saves a lot of time but also just um saves the climber having to be up there rigging that uh down we have we do a lot of technical rigging as well. There are places where we don't have crane access. So we do a lot of uh, a chainsaw work as well with the technical rigging. And technical rigging isn't just something that's for tree removal. It could be for a, a, a big pruning job yeah, just, as well. Yeah, lowering, lowering branches down safely. Yep, we have. And that is the one last thing we have not covered yet. Uh, we'll talk about pruning your deciduous trees in our final segment. But before we go there, I've been shuffling through my... Uh, trivia. My, my trivia cards that I recently <laughs> got. This one, this one might just stump John Eisenhower. In 2019, a bald cip- citrus tree, cypress. cypress tree, over 
2,600 years old, was found living in the Black River Preserve in North Carolina. True or false? <laughs> it's very much true. <laughs> I only said that because at the bottom it said, question submitted by John Eisenhower, <laughs> Phoenix, Arizona. And you're the one who sent that article to me. Well, let's get right to deciduous tree pruning before we run out of time here. And there's a little bit of plant health care we'll hit at the end. But what we talked at the very beginning of the hour about how we're behind a lot of the leaf drop. And this is usually the time I trim my citrus. I pulled some lights out to string my mulberries. They're all still full. Sure. the uh, Of leaves. <laughs> I know. And it's odd because, as I said, we'll get some leaf drop here. My mulberries are full of leaves as well. It hardly looks like they're ready to be trimmed. But this is one of those topics, though, that we need to talk about in December because we do have a short window uh, really, December, January is your prime time for pruning all of your deciduous trees, your elms, your mulberries, your pecans, all your trees that lose their leaves this time of year, and your shrubs. This is your ideal time to do some pruning. But most importantly, in terms of timing, I mean, you can get away with a little earlier pruning of your of an elm tree, for instance, or an ash tree. Um, uh, you can go a little earlier than December, and you can go a little later than January, and it's not going to hurt the trees. In fact, depending on dosage, you could probably trim any of those deciduous trees all year long if you're not doing some really heavy pruning. But the one deciduous uh, tree or trees that you do want to be careful that you, you do in December, January are your, your fruit trees, your fruit-bearing deciduous trees like your peach and your plums, your pears, your apricots, your apples. The reason being that if you have trees like peaches that produce fruit on current year's growth, that is on the most recent year's growth, if you wait until spring to prune them, you'll be cutting off fruit-bearing wood. So if you prune your peaches in the winter in December, January, all the new growth that emerges in February and March is going to be the wood that actually produces the fruit. So be really careful to be sure you get your peaches done now. I forgot and didn't do my apricot uh, last year until too late. I ended up cutting off all the fruit-bearing wood, <laughs> so I got a, a, a year of, 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 no, of no fruit. And so, uh, and again, it depends on how deep you're cutting, cutting them. But if you do need to cut them back uh, to a reasonable size so you can harvest the fruit more easily, which I normally need to do, uh, definitely uh, uh, do that pruning in December and January. And when you're talking about pruning it to manageable size, you never want to take more than a third of the tree growth off. Is that correct? Yeah, that's ideally for, for health. But if you – I have a mature peach tree, and I need to cut those branches down to about 50% of their height. Or I won't get back down – you know, or, or reduce the tree's height about 50%. Because I need to get down to the old cuts that I made the prior year so that I can have fruit with it within reach. Because I have a, a fruit tree that um, is that peach tree that's probably 20 feet tall. So I want to bring those um, uh, all those those uh, fruit-bearing branches, last year's fruit-bearing branches, back down to the old cuts I made at about 10 feet off the ground. And then, of course, I have have some other smaller fruit trees that um, I, I cut back to four or five feet of height. Those are a lot easier to harvest. 
but I did I do um, enjoy the fact that my peach tree is as big as it is, because despite the fact that the I can't net it and I can't cover it, it has so many so much fruit on it that the birds can have all they want because <laughs> I still get three or four hundred pieces of fruit off of it. So, you know, you do um, you can with your fruit trees determine how high it is, um, and and the, the the fruit picking height. Uh, depending on where you cut it back this year. If you cut it back now down to certain size, it will grow. You know, peach trees normally put out six or eight feet of branch growth um, in in any in any growing season, and uh, and my apricot does about maybe you know four to five feet of growth uh, after I've made a pruning cut. So I've got that cut a little bit smaller. And if you ever want to see that in case, depending on what plot you're walking at Schnupp Farms, they've got peach trees there where the trunk, you couldn't even put your arms around, and they've got it completely topped. And you're like, what? And, but every little shoot, all the new little shoots coming off all sides has all the fruit on it. <laughs> wow, yeah. It's it's so cool to have some good fruit-bearing trees. And they can grow long and, 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 and healthy um uh, despite the sometimes health issues that some of the older trees have, it's nice to see some old apple trees around the valley here too, with big old gnarly, uh, decay-ridden trunks. But they're still pushing out some new growth that bears fruit every year. And with some uh, TLC, um, you know, those trees can can live a long a long time and still produce some nice fruit. And part of TLC is PHC, plant health care. Yes. Final talking point for today. Well, our plant health care topic of the week is just, or uh, the month is, is winter water wisdom. You know, uh, uh, there's a lot of talk about reducing the, the amount of water we're putting out during the winter, and this is certainly true. You can start reducing the, the, uh, um, the, the amount of water you put down on your plants because they have a de- de- decreased water needs. But in the low desert especially, uh, remember that trees do need to be watered regularly during the winter. Don't neglect them altogether and think you can just turn the water off and shut your timer off. Um, w- trees do need uh, at least a deep soaking once a month right through the winter season, and they'll be really happy for having done that. And if somebody needed uh, an ISA certified arborist or to schedule somebody to come review their trees? The best way is to just get on our website at saveatree.org. S-A-V-A-T-R-E-E dot com. Save a tree. How did the new Christmas tree light program go? Y'all were stringing lights for some people. It's going great. It's going great. Yeah, we're done for this year, but if you want to get on our schedule for next year, let us know. We had a lot of fun this year. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with us, Mr. Eisenhower. You bet. My pleasure.